Hello, this is Priya Kalidas and welcome to the first episode of I Hear You, my new podcast. In this series, I will be speaking to inspiring individuals about life, career, and we will be deep diving into the impact of culture on the choices they've made. Today's special guest, I am very excited to speak to. She is a fashion inclusion consultant, creative and creator. It is Aruj Afdab. Aruj, welcome. Now, I watched a documentary, which was actually sent to me by your amazing sister. Now, the doc was called My Tumor Made Me Trendy for BBC Newsbeat. For anyone that hasn't yeah. watched this documentary, just give us a little insight into what it was about. Yeah, gosh, it feels like I was a whole different person then. Like, I almost can and can't recognize who that was back then, but um, I've grown a lot since. So, yeah, the documentary was in 2018, and it was essentially um, a story about a condition I suffered from called neurofibromatosis. Actually, I take that back. I don't suffer. Um, I live with it. I live with it. And, yeah, it's called neurofibromatosis. In short, it's NF1. And it's essentially a condition where tumors grow on my nerves um, inside my skin. And my left side of my body is quite disfigured. I've got a huge birthmark that covers majority of my torso, back and upper thigh. And then tumors along my left side. And uh, I was recently, well, 2000 and I want to say a year before that documentary, or you know, a year after that documentary, I was diagnosed with a meningioma in my head. So um, it's just literally a condition where non-cancerous tumors grow in my body and um, it causes pain, like chronic pain. And I just felt like it was important for me to tell my story. Like my twin sister, Kaya, was like, I think you should do a documentary on this and I'll produce it. And I didn't really think anything of it um, until I started working in the fashion industry and I realized how significant body issues were and body image was, uh, but also how underrepresented stories from ethnic minority groups like black and brown communities and disability was even portrayed. So I did this documentary and um, it was received really well. Um, it was definitely the scariest thing that I've done, um, but it was needed. And um, I'm here now, uh, come a long way since, and I feel like the way I speak about this now is more with, with more love and understanding rather than being ashamed and scared of it. Firstly, I just want to say congratulations for thank you taking the step to, to, to tell your story because I was really taken by your honesty and your vulnerability. I just think you are just amazing, which is why I wanted you on the podcast. Um, and also, you're making me all like shy. <laughs> Thank you. And also, your passion to talk about how important inclusion is in the industry, especially in an industry that can yeah. be so judgmental. Was fashion always your dream? It was actually as young as I can remember. Like um, I, I just remember being really particular about how things fit especially as my body changed with puberty and this condition and the tree was growing how I looked in certain things and I feel like you know fashion clothing what you wear is another layer of skin you can you can be who you want to be and I think for me I found comfort in the early days especially when I was did this documentary I was blogging as well I found a lot of comfort in menswear. What I didn't realize was it was actually oversized fits and men's stitching as opposed to women's stitching, which can go inwards, whereas men's stitching was quite like, all right, it's not, it's a bit more boxier. It's not going to 
tug on anything or it's not going to like make me conscious about my condition being visible at the time which I was really conscious about but I just I just felt like it was just cool and I could I could if I want if I wanted to be sporty I could be sporty if I wanted to pop on some color I could do that but also I just felt like kind of an armor where where I could pass by as a normal member of society where speaking from a place of privilege I'm able I was able to cover my condition that I was so like running away from at the time but yeah that's where I fell out. but then again another aspect of fashion is it's it, I feel like everything tells a story the brands you wear where you come from like being from a Pakistani household to the traditional wear like it's just it, it it's just there's a lot to explore I've always enjoyed fashion. Talking about growing up in a Pakistani household tell me about uh Aruj is a little girl growing up in a Pakistani household. You've got uh, how many siblings? So one twin sister, that's Kaya, who Kaya. produces the documentary. Yeah. Um, and then I've got a little sister called Abira. So the three of you, so girls. So three of us girls. Wow. Yeah. A lot yeah. of great feminine energy in that household. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Always. So wanting to be in an industry that I guess in some ways is not really uh, the dumb thing in in the community and a culture that is predominantly wanting us to kind of I don't know become and I hate to use the stereotype of a traditional uh job which is maybe being a doctor or a lawyer or you know a, a stable industry that our families understand how is your family with you wanting to get into fashion and creative industry they were really supportive. Like, I, mean, I, I can speak from a place of privilege here as well, where I know a lot, not a lot of people would have that support in the households. Um, but they were really supportive. They were just like, especially with me and my sister, and like my mum and dad were like, do what you want to do, but you better make sure you're damn good at what you do. And that's all it was. Do what you want to do, but make sure you're good at what you do. Also love what you do, um, because it's your future. It's our future, not theirs. And that's what they said. They said it's your future, your decisions. So you do what you want to do and you do what makes you happy. And, you know, even with the documentary, they were really supportive. And I've always I've always grown up in a very supportive household. Like I, I grew up playing football and my parents would be like, OK, do what you want. <laughs> like we just just don't obviously injure yourself too much, but go do what you want. And that to me, like I've only realised like now when I hear other stories that that is actually a, such a big privilege because a lot of people don't have that. Many do, many don't. Like, I think it depending on who you speak to. And what was it like, obviously, talking about your journey and your story with the condition, but in the documentary, you also spoke quite openly about intimate relationships. So how, and how, and also how that impacts you and affects you when it comes to relationships. What was that like also, having to be open and honest about that, knowing that your family are going to be hearing and also seeing it. I can't remember speaking about that, but I, I must have clearly done. I think at that point, I never really used to put myself out there. And I still, I don't think I still do, if I'm being quite honest. I'm just like, I'm busy. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> so you do, you're not I dating? About it, no dating? <laughs> no, no dating right now. I, I wish if, if if anybody wants to play Cupid and introduce me to anybody, that I, I'm open, but I'm not, I'm not dating right now. Your husband could be listening to this podcast right now <laughs> I wish no, no, let's put that into the universe but no I think 
from what I spoke about was my perception on, on intimate relations and dating that is it, people won't like it. It's not palatable. There's it's funny because I was I was at a diversity and inclusion panel today and really good conversations came up and I was speaking to a friend about disability and how I kind of I think I did the documentary and I ran away almost because I got scared about people's perception and that this is me being really honest and open and I think I'm at a phase in my life where actually when I look at representation and accessibility I should be speaking about this way more but I think as far as dating I think I was speaking about this to a friend today and I was like I still feel a way there's a subconscious I don't get me wrong I'm comfortable in my own skin I know myself uh, but I think there's a society perception of what a disability looks like whether you are palatable or not and for me, like the word tumors is, is, is anybody from the outside is scary. I say it so casually. And then I almost feel like if I was to be in a relationship or date or deal with a partner's family and talking about it can be, it can throw, a, I, I think it can throw a person off. Then again, maybe not. I do, I'd like to think we're in a bit more of an open-minded generation and society than boxing something like in some boxing disability in one box or seeing it as a negative thing um a lot of people that i know with disabilities actually use their vulnerability as a superpower and they don't they don't feel ashamed of themselves we don't i don't feel ashamed of myself you don't know what you don't know and um no one needs to explain themselves so that's where i am if with the with the dating situation but i'm not dating right now but i often it has crossed my mind where how do you explain this to somebody like, how do you actually explain this to somebody? When is the right time to tell a person? And then, you know, I was speaking to a friend and they were like, you just tell somebody when it's right, when the time feels right. You don't owe anybody anything. So it's kind of like, okay, cool. Especially getting older as a woman, thinking about certain things, it, it crosses my mind quite a lot. But I, I, just being really honest, I don't know where I'd place myself with relationships right now. Um, but I would say that I'm 100% comfortable in my skin. What other people think I can't control. But there's so much more to you than just that one thing. Exactly. Like it doesn't define No, me. absolutely not. And and you are so amazing in so many other ways that somebody out there will obviously love that about you and will want to build a life together with all the beautiful qualities that you bring to a relationship because that's no, what you. relationships are thank about. You. No, it's true. Um, but do you, I mean, you sort of talked a little bit about about that just then in terms of like getting older and being a woman and, 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 and what does that mean in terms of what the future looks like with relationships? Because there is so much pressure, especially coming from a culture and a community that, that, yeah. that it's so important. And I mean, I don't know if it's the same for you, but like being married is, is being successful. Having a partner, having children is being successful. Is that true for you? Well, my, my family, I really like, you know, like as much as you know, as much as they can joke around, be like, "You need to get married," and all this, and you know, they'll, they'll sometimes have a serious chat. They're actually really supportive. They're like, "You do you," and the times right, the times right, and that's what they are. They're like, it's like you know, and my, I've got a quite a young family as well, and they they're just like, yeah, whatever. But obviously, in some cases, when somebody like much younger than me is tying the knot, they're like, "All right, so what are you doing?" Um, you know, but I'm like, yeah, just chilling, but like, just waiting, just 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 seeing what's out there. Um, but no, they're really like supportive at the same time. Like, I don't feel like I have any pressure for my family. I know, I know they'd like me to get married. They love a good party. 
they love, they need a reason to dance and they need a reason to get dressed up. So I'm sure they'd love for me to like meet someone and them to get excited about something. But also they're at the same time, they're like, you know, there's no pressure uh, whenever the time is right. So yeah, in that way, I feel kind of like oh, whatever, you know, like it's, it's fine that what will be will be. Yeah, they've always been supportive. I think I can speak from a place of privilege there. You said that quite a few times and I really love that. It sounds like your family have been incredible in terms of just allowing you to become the person that you need to become and want to become and and pursuing all your sort of dreams and aspirations with regards to that. Yeah, and I think it's important, like even on this chat, to acknowledge the privilege that we have because, you know, uh, we come from similar communities and it can be really easy to talk about our communities and what our communities face and not to say that I don't face those things I do but I also need to give flowers or flowers are due like it's not I don't know it's not always it's not always easy but it's, it's not hard either for me and I think I uh, the most blessed thing is that I come from the most supportive family and that is the reason why I'm here today I love that and that is also similar of my journey so you know I think it's really important to share that narrative that actually not all Asian families are unsupportive, particularly when it comes to creative careers. Talking of being supportive and successful, you're also an industry tastemaker and you pose important questions about the language that we use to promote real and meaningful diversity. Have you come across any resistance from companies or people in the industry or any challenging moments that you can share? with regards to that yeah 100% like I feel like there's always going to be a challenge in in every aspect of what you do but I think that you've got to take those challenges within your stride Dummy Diversity came off the back of doing a documentary uh Dummy Diversity is a consultancy that I use to challenge brands and pose important questions about language when it comes to diversity my argument has always been that you know black and brown skin color is not diverse it's normal we are also the global majority and what the word diversity does in context when it's not used properly is it makes a non-disabled heterosexual white man and woman look normal anybody who's not that is considered diverse which is very othering um and that part of people i th- understand i think i've had a really nice journey into the fashion industry yes there's been challenges yes there's been pushback yes there's been overlook and yes there's probably been like misunderstanding or people have misconstrued what I've been trying to say but I can't remember any like particular instances I can remember like with the disability side of things one thing that I've struggled with and crosses my mind right now is how into like sort of interlinked with disability and then we're in a generation that kind of has a shock factor to see it I will not be getting my body out to show that I have a visible disability to the outside world I don't have a visible disability but I I, but my disability I can cover with my clothing and I think that's one thing that I'm trying to navigate how to speak about right now and how we view feminism and celebrating ourselves and how modesty plays into that and the challenge of society and mindset then it and industry as well of course I think there's a lot of work to do in terms of people from leadership positions we need more um black and brown people from community um, who understand culture and 
um, the importance of that in leadership positions. And I think that's how it makes people like from like myself easy to get into certain roles and certain jobs because you can't you can't be what you can't see. So it's kind of like someone needs to see you too. But oh yeah, this girl like. And I also feel like a lot of people can be in their own echo chambers, which is why it's so important to have people in leadership positions that represent different communities. Because if you don't know, you don't know. But then what happens with that is the same people are in the same positions and we're having a lot of talent that's overlooked. So um, that's only challenge. But I think, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. I do think it's going in the right direction. I think people are a lot more vocal. I don't think people are scared to, well, not as scared to call out if they feel they face any injustice. Um, I think me as a person, I've definitely grown in saying, in being brave to say what I need to say. I think at first I used to sugarcoat certain things and be like, let me just do a bit of tongue in cheek. And I still use like, use tongue in cheek in my work. Like I'll, I'll be sarcastic in certain things. Um, but I'm a lot more open with saying what needs to be said because it's my experience and you can't deny people's experience which at first when I was like oh if I say this I might get cancelled but it's kind of like actually if you feel like something needs to be fixed in the industry then talk about it but I do say that if you if there is something that needs to be spoken about there has to be a solution and that's why it's important we have solution-based discussions but in terms of challenges I feel like there's a lot of noise um there's a lot of there's a lot of things wrong in the world and not everybody can be represented at one time, which I think people need to understand. But also we need more people. Again, I can say this again, behind the scenes, we need more people in leadership positions that can take those roles, that can take those actions. And we just need more opportunity and flowers passed around uh, beyond surface level, beyond, beyond appearances. I think it, the way it can work is culture over colour. You mentioned that Dhamma Diversity came about once you uh, post the documentary. So it feels like the documentary and you being able to have a platform to talk about your journey and your condition has been a real instigator for lots of things. And you also said that you're a different person to now to who you were when you did that documentary, which was only in 2018, a few years ago. What are the things uh, that have made you who you are now that you can talk about and share with us? Yeah, I think like looking back, I'm not that I'm ashamed. Um, I think I look at myself and ask myself, why was I, literally, why was I embarrassed about myself? Why did I have this perception about myself that this is this and therefore this means I'm this way? Uh, Why did I have such a negative perception of disability? And I think because I didn't see anything else around me apart from my own experience. Therefore, when I moved to big, obviously, like my mum's got the condition and she's really resilient. And we're kind of like, when I see family, kind of like, okay, but when you see it, like, but obviously my mum taught me resilience. And that's one thing I learned from her having a condition. But that was the only other person I knew with a condition. Uh, but your mum is your mum, right? And it's kind of like when you go out into the big wide world, and I moved to Manchester for a bit, then I moved to London, and I was like, I'm meeting so many different people with so many different um, disabilities and um, things they live with. Um, and like, it's, and I, I used to think like what I had wasn't normal, but actually what I have is very normal. And disabilities are very normal. 
actually people yeah people have people don't have things things have them it's the way I look at it it's just a matter of life like it doesn't define anyone and I think you know but as people you grow um and I'm in a place where I'm not really ashamed um I'm not ashamed at all I'm comfortable in my skin um I'm careful about when I speak about this because also I think it's important not to generalize all disabilities or this condition as it affects people in so many different ways but I also acknowledge my privilege having this condition and how I'm able to navigate society and not 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 feel conscious where I used to be. Um, and, you know, there's so many people with disabilities that have taught me so much and actually humbled me in a way where actually, and, it's that kind of and, so, um, and, you know, vulnerability is a superpower, but also you are what you are who you are and how you present yourself is how you are. And I think regardless of the marks, the disabilities, the scars, the, the, whatever we have, the only thing that really matters in this life and society is if you're a nice person or not. And if you're not, then you're not. And I think I look back um, and I think I was so pressed on this thing that I had that I've got that now actually I forget I have it like don't get me wrong there's there's good days and bad days there's bad pain and there's pain that I, that's top that I can tolerate for me I feel really blessed and I'm able to share a story that opens up not only awareness for this condition but also shines a light on the people that have this that need medical help and that need um more funding for the charities and that do have do may have it visibly or and are are the most resilient people and they put everything into perspective for me um therefore that's why I keep saying that you have to acknowledge my privilege here um and where I'm where I'm where I'm speaking from um but yeah I think I think I've learned a lot and grown a lot in mindset and I think maybe it's maturity um and I think it's kind of that thing where not not that I ever played victim to it because I, I never really spoke about it but where I didn't need to I don't need to shout myself away I don't need to be afraid because really it's just kind of like and you keep it moving we definitely keep it moving I love that you're such a you talk about how important and integral it is to have leadership in in companies and at the forefront for people to be inspired and and to to want to be part of whatever industry that they want to be part of. And you are definitely a leader and a spokesperson for so many people, um, particularly for so many young women. Was that the plan for 12-year-old no. Aruj in Bradford, um, ready to no. step out into the world? What did you think you were going to be no, doing? Actually, but you know what, talking about, just touching back into condition, my little sister also has neurofibromatosis. She's just 15. And I want to be the biggest role model for her. And, you know, she, though, has many, like, like she's grown up with this condition. She has some other conditions. And I'm like, if I can do it, you can do it. Like, whatever, you're, like, whatever you want to be, you can be. But we have, you have to believe in yourself, right? It is a mind over matter thing. So whatever you put out, you're going to get back. Um, so don't ever feel like you're not, like, I've always had a, I'm so obsessed with language. I think disabled, I don't know if that's even the right word. Disability is even the right world, word. Because we're not disadvantaged from anything. I think people are more than capable to do what they want to do, how they want to do, but we need things accessible in place for people to do those things. Because I believe everyone can do anything if there's accessibility there, you know. But in terms of 12-year-old Rouge, I don't know. I just, I honestly thought I, there's a few things that I honestly when I was growing up. And one of them was working with kids um, and like in social care or like 
being a midwife, which was a really random choice of aspiration. Um, but I just loved biology when I was in school. And then the other was like artist, or the other one was like a fashion designer, or another one was working in fashion, but not what I'm doing. I thought I would have been working for a company, had my like nine to five, maybe done some like PR and styling and you know, all that kind of stuff, which is really fun. Um, never did I think I'd be self-employed, consulting brands, freelance, on diversity and inclusion, and living in London. Like, London for me was was a dream when I was a kid. The next biggest city I could always get to was Manchester. So London would always be, like, a rarity for me. And then now that I'm here, it's like, you know what, I'm going to make the most of it because I come from a very small town, from very humble beginnings, I've learned a lot growing up, being from a small town. I've learned a lot about people and culture and community and the importance of neighbours and community and respect and kindness. And as far as smiling at each other, walking past each other, greeting each other, all that kind of small stuff, to going to a moderate, like, sort of bigger city in Manchester and learning a bit more of a fast-paced life. And there's a lot of different experiences that have shaped me, but never did I think I'd be like doing what I'm doing but um I'm, I, if, if people are inspired then I'm I, I'm um honored by that but I, I feel like I, I barely scratch the surface on what I want to do there's so much that I want to say so much that I want to amount to um so much that I want to achieve uh, but I mean I'm enjoying the ride so when you're not working and focusing on being just a like super woman um is there a place that you go to in London that you love? Oh, that's a tough question. You know what? Actually, there is a space, there's a space, actually, a restaurant that I love. And it's a Palestinian-owned cafe. It's called Tea by Tamara. And I say they do the best food all my days. And also the company is just so nice. It's like I can go in there and we can just have the most random conversations like tomorrow the owner. Like I'll sit and she like overfeed me one and she'll keep bringing things out. And it's like, you know what? It's just so chilled. And that's where I feel like connecting with friends, going to places to eat that I love. Even being at home, I feel like a day at home is actually quite a nice day. Um, I enjoy my own company as much as I'm sociable and seeing friends. I also enjoy my own company. So my chill spot could be my flat. It could be um, going to like one of the Soho houses if, if it's a low key one in a weekday, um, or just 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 chilling. Like I feel like I'm not really like bougie going to these like big places. I don't even know where I go, but I just oh no, I just places. meant like your favorite little coffee shop because <laughs> I I love I think there's so many like little hidden gems in London, and you strike me yeah. as someone who would find those hidden gems well an independent one is tea by tomorrow right if you haven't visited love that. i would check that out absolutely love that so you've clearly achieved so much more than you could have ever imagined as you said because you know you, this wasn't necessarily the plan uh, where you're at now so what's next like what is the next thing that you really want to achieve all the things that you really want to do that you can also just share and inspire as you already have it's interesting you word it like that, as in I've achieved so much that I could, like, when you say that, I'm like, you know, I, I think I can be my own biggest critic. And I'm when I do something, I'm looking for the next big thing and I'm on this treadmill. But don't you think that's that, something that we all have and it's part of our human wiring? We can never just be content with the things that we've achieved and actually go, yeah. do you know what? Pat on the back, Garouge, you've done amazing. 
up until now. And yet there is still so much more to do. So you need to definitely recognize that. No, thank you. Thank you. So one of my friends asked me, what's your word for 2024? And it was actually contentment. It was actually what you just said. It was actually contentment. So I think like for me, like I think we can always have goals and we can always achieve like we, we, make, we can make our resolutions. Of course, there's amazing stuff that I want to do. I want to work with X, Y, Z brand and I want to do these events and this, this consulting and these campaigns. Uh, but that aside, like on a human level, for me, I think my perspective on a lot of things has shifted in, in the recent months, but also just trying to see, trying to find my place um, and how I move with more intention and to make more long-term impact you know everyone's invited and it's that kind of thing where I just want to I want to I, I want to be content regardless of what I'm doing and that's that's all that's coming to mind right now of course like there's big projects I want to have lined up and already I'm having amazing conversations but with each one of these things it's contentment and it's to acknowledge that then and not try try be kind to myself Aruj thank you so much I've had so many and I know this might sound a little bit cringe but I've had quite a few goosebump moments having that conversation with you and hearing you talk about your journey um thank you so much for sharing with us here on I hear you I want to say thank you to you I think what you're doing is incredible um and it's such an honor to be on here and Honestly, like you're you're a really defining moment, like person of representation. Like I don't know if you know if you realize it, but you are. And what even what you've done is incredible. And now what you're doing and this podcast and how you're platforming other people is is one to you deserve a pat on the back too. <laughs> so I, I I want to take these last moments to acknowledge you Thanks. and you know the time that you've given to me to chat with me and tell my story further and. Um, no, I'm honestly in awe. So you're, you're a really big defining moment in in representation and what that looks like. But thank you for your kind words. It's such an honour coming from someone who is paving the way on her own unique path. Thank you, Aruj, for being with us today. And thank you for listening to I Hear You, the podcast hosted by me, Priya Kalidas. Keep listening for more episodes and don't forget to follow and subscribe. It really helps people find this podcast too. So make sure you tell everyone. Huge thanks to Pineapple Audio Production for producing this series. And I will see you next time.